On episode 80 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, create a winning strategy for 2018. If you ask everybody to start singing at once, it sounds like noise. If you give everybody a hymnal and say, turn to page 38, and on me, let's all start singing this, it sounds like music. That's what strategy is. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Chip, welcome back to the studio. Thank you. It's the end of the year. Yep. So people are starting to think about the upcoming year. Yep. And I hear you want to talk about something related to that. Well, that's because a lot of my clients and people I work with, you know, we do. We, we start wrapping this year up and we kind of break it into three things when they say, Chip, what should we do in December if we really want to have a great 2018? I said, well, there's two components to it. The first is we got to look back at this year mm-hmm. and we got to look at the numbers. So we, we look back, step one, then we take stock. That is where we are right now. And then we start to forecast the future. Mm-hmm. And so we start looking at 2018. But in looking back in the first step, you know, obviously we look at all the metrics. We look at numbers, how we do, did we, you know, hit the goals that we had planned, so on and so forth. And, and it's easier to look back and wish we would have done more of this and less of that. And we have another exercise called Stop, Start, Continue that we'll look at, you know, and this year, what do we need to stop doing? What do we need to start doing? And, and what did we do that we need to continue doing because it was working? So we'll kind of do that in the first part. Then we move into taking stock. What's our current resources, our staff, our customer base, all those kind of things. And then when we start looking at forecasting the future, we take the strategy that we have and we either tweak it or modify it, whatever it might be. And then we have to convert those strategies into goals. And there are two things that we look at when it comes to to goal setting. There are what we call performance targets. Okay. That's short term. So these are the goals related to the day-to-day performance of the organization and the things that we have to do consistently on a regular basis to stay relevant and in business. And then we have what we call performance initiatives. This is kind of the long-term stuff. This is developing the goals that are designed to increase the capacity of our organization three years, five years, 10 years down the road. So we're balancing it between targets and initiatives. So the target would be to lose the 20 pounds and the initiative would be become like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Long-term, right? yes. It's a long-term. Yeah, so the short-term is put the fork down, walk around the block. That's a target <laughs> that we should do every day. So less calories, more exercise, consistent targets of a daily activity. Initiative is live a healthy lifestyle so that I can make it to 90 years old. There are a lot of parallels to dieting because I feel like you have to have some short-term goals that you can actually meet for you to have the motivation to complete your long-term initiatives. Absolutely. So those fall into something else we talk about, which are called lead measures and lag measures. So a lead measure is how many calories am I allowed to eat daily? And if I eat that and exercise how many times a week or how many times a day, every single day we measure that. That's a target, which is a lead measure. So at the end of the month or the end of the quarter or the end of the year, those are lag measures. We can look at and say, if we did these things every single day, here's what our result was on the backside, the lag measure. So what are some parallels in the business world? Well, let's say, for example, I'm a salesperson. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll use that one. And my goal is to sell 100 widgets a month. Well, then I need to break it down and look at my last year's performance. So we'll look at this past year and say, okay, every single day, how many contacts of potential buyers did I have to pick up the phone and call or email or through marketing? How many touches every single day did I have to do to be able to hit 
the number of widgets that I needed to sell. Mm -hmm. So that's a lead measure, which is a target, which is a lag measure, which is I hit my goal or I didn't hit my goal. So we're looking at those measurements. Those are targets. Those are what I have to do every day, every month, every quarter. Now, an initiative would be, okay, if we want to grow this company by 50% over the next 10 years, that's a long-term initiative. Mm -hmm. What kind of new products do we have to develop? What kind of infrastructure are we going to have to have? How many people? You know, these are long-term initiatives, but we've got to make sure we hit our targets today. If we all we do is focus on initiatives and we don't do the work every day, nothing gets done. I would think if you lose track of your initiatives, then you get stuck in the day-to-day. If you lose track of your targets, then you might be thinking about something bigger that you never actually accomplished. That's right. So it's a balancing act between what do we have to do now to stay relevant in business and what do we want to become? A lot of organizations that get out of balance is because they tend to work on just short term, which mm-hmm. is just targets, targets, targets. What's our profitability? How many widgets did we sell today? And don't have long-term initiatives. And I've also worked with organizations that are always thinking about initiatives, but nobody's doing the day-to-day work. It's like, we're always thinking about how great it's going to be when we finally get there, but nobody's selling widgets today. The way we do that is to convert strategy into goals. We start, and I have to ask some basic, and when I say basic, these are not simple or easy to come up with, but these are basic questions that have to be answered before we can really set goals and and have a implementation. And that is that we have to get clear about the strategy of the organization. And we have to take that strategy and put them into measurable action steps. Under the strategy, the questions that I might bring up or ask is, have we clarified the mission of the organization? And do we know what our guiding principles are? The things that if we get off track, we know this is where we're headed. Is the leadership of the organization have an ideal vision of what it looks like when we hit success? You know, I'll ask a lot of times people and they say, I don't know, I'm struggling with this whole strategy and vision stuff. And so I'll simplify it by saying, what does success look like? If we were to hit what you think we should be hitting, what does it look like? And explain it to me. Paint a visual picture of what success looks like. If everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing and working well and we're selling enough widgets and we have enough profitability, what is life like for you and everybody that works there? That's what that ideal vision is. And then we got to get clear about our business focus. We're in the business of selling widgets and we're clear about that. We don't sell this, that, and chicken fat. We sell widgets and we're clear, we understand it, and that's what we do. And that is tied to anchors. And typically you have two to three anchors and an anchor is... This is what we're really good at. We know we're really good at this. Anytime we get outside of the scope of what these two or three anchors are that we know we're good at, we tend to go down these paths that cost us money and distract our focus and we get lost. So every time it seems like we're doing a little bit of, you know, creeping outside of the the norm, we have to come back to our anchors. This is what we do and what we're good at. And then we're clear about our value proposition. And that is, what do we do better than anybody else that provides significant value to our customers that's not easy to duplicate by our competitors? And so when I sit down at the end of the year or first part of the year with an organization and say, let me help you take your strategy and turn it into, you know, the goals for this year and an implementation plan to do it, it starts with asking these questions. You know, what's the mission, your guiding principles, your ideal vision, your focus, your anchors, your your value proposition. And through that, then we can move to setting the goals. Do you find that people will sometimes say, well, we know what we do. We know what we're about. We know 
what our core vision is, and then you find out that they all have differing ideas of what that should be. Absolutely, 100% of the time. And one of the things that I will do is I'll say, okay, if we all know that, then let's do an exercise. Let's stop right now. And I want everybody to write down their answers to these questions. What is the mission of your organization? What are your guiding principles? What does the ideal vision look like? What is your business focus? Pick three anchors. Tell me what they are. And what is the strongest value proposition you have? Everybody take 30 minutes, break up, do not talk to each other, do not collaborate at all, and then come back in 30 minutes and let's go around the table and let's see how aligned or misaligned we are. And almost every single time I do it, there's misalignment in multiple questions. Sometimes they're close on some, but most of the time there's misalignment. And I say, now, that's around this table of the people that work here all day long, every day, who are decision makers. Mm -hmm. We go one or two layers deep, if it's a large organization, and we ask these questions to the people that work for you and the people that work for them. How do you think these are going to be answered? Now misalignment becomes even bigger. Then I'll go a step further and I'll say, okay, now what I want you to do is send this to 10, 15, 20 of your most valuable customers and have them answer these questions about your organization <laughs> and tell me if there's alignment or misalignment. Now, go a step further if you really want to feel bad about yourself. <laughs> go to the mall and ask 100 random people to walk by, if, you, if you're a business that people should know in town, ask 100 random people in the mall not only what you do and what you sell, but some of these questions, and you will find that the misalignment between what you think is your value proposition and what you think the world thinks of you is so skewed by consumers. So it's good to sit around a table at the end of the year and say, wow, we really killed it. We'd, we had a profitable year. We had this and that, and everything was wonderful. But imagine what it would be if there was alignment. Imagine if we could answer these questions. So you're saying not only is it important for you to be on the same page with everyone at your work, but to make sure that your customers are on the same page with you as well in understanding the value you're supposedly delivering to them. Yeah, I had this meeting just yesterday with a client and I said a value proposition is recognized by your customer, not something that you tell your customer. <laughs> And they were, you know, they kind of did that thing where like a dog does and they, you know, turn their head sideways like they didn't understand. I said, a value proposition is only good and only real and valid if the customer sees it as valuable, not what you think is valuable. <laughs> because one of the things that they say is, you know, we care about our customers or we, we have a great price on our product or, you know, they list some of these. And I said, well... Everybody says the exact same thing. Every one of your competitors says and believes that's value too. But it only matters if the customer sees it as value. And even better, if it's unique value, that they feel like they can only get that from you and not from all of your competitors. So if you sell a widget, just for random sake, let's say we sell, we're in the coffee mug business. So we sell coffee mugs. It's a container that holds coffee or any liquid, right? So now we're not the only one that sells coffee mugs. So if you're in a commodity-based business that sells coffee mugs, you would think, how do we differentiate and create value? A couple of different ways. Price, but if we become low price, then that has to be a strategy that long-term wins because cutting prices is a race to the bottom and everybody loses on that deal. But it, so it's got to be like a Walmart strategy where they have a clear strategy to win on low price. So maybe it's like function, like does your particular coffee mug keep the coffee warmer longer? Yes, absolutely. So recently new technologies come out in the last handful of years and some 
cooler manufacturers and mugs and different stuff are starting to dominate the market. Why? Because it's something that everyone wanted, and you also see a lot of competitors as well. So Yeti was the big one. That's and right. And now there's, if you go to uh, Bucky's here on the interstate, you find they have Arctic instead of, yeah. you know, because it's cheaper. So That's now right. they're in a commodity business. Yeah. So what happens with Yeti? Yeti's the first to market. They come out, and their coolers and cups and everything are crazy expensive compared to the rest. But yet... You can put Only ice. Once. You put ice in them, and the next morning wake up, and that ice is still there. And people are like, "Oh my goodness, this is crazy! No wonder they're expensive. They 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 last ten times longer." Yeah. Well, once the technology's there, other people do the same thing for a little bit less money, and it becomes a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. So that's a differentiator that provides value, and people are willing to pay for it. So when you look at coffee mugs. There's multiple things, but in most industries that are commodity driven, it's either price, functionality, or relationship. Yeah. I would rather spend more and buy a coffee mug from Carlos than I would from Randy because Carlos knows who I am. He knows what I value. He he has a relationship with me and Randy sells coffee mugs and his price might be a little bit less. But I may not care about you. That's right. But you don't <laughs> care about me. So I'd rather pay a little bit more because I what I value is relationship, not as much price. Right. And so that's what we really have to dig into and make sure we understand the value proposition. So once we get clear about these things, then we start looking at setting goals. And there's all kinds of different ways to set goals. And I can go through the SMART ac- acronym and all kinds of different stuff. I'm not going to do that right now. What, Because what I typically will say to organizations is the one thing that they do wrong is they set way too many goals mm-hmm. and they dilute the value because they, they want to do too much too quickly. And so they set all these crazy goals thinking that the more goals that we hit, the better off. It's, and, it's similar to like if you're trying to diet, if you say, I'm going to start with doing good at breakfast and then I'll work up to lunch and dinner, things will be better. So yep. start with those small goals that you can hit that are simple. You can track well. Yep. And what we call in our workshops key result areas. So what areas will provide the biggest value if we change something, change a habit, change an outcome, change a goal? What are the key result areas? And you can only have two or three really significant key result areas before the they dilute each other out. So you pick two or three and you say, okay, these are the three key result areas we want to focus on. What are our lead targets that we're going to measure all the time? What are our lag targets that we're going to look at? How does this tie into a long-term initiative? Is it true to our value proposition, our our, uh, ideal vision, and everything else? And if that is the case, okay, can we agree upon these are the three major goals we're going to set for this year that are key results for us? And if we hit these, the trickle-down effect to overall is going to be big. Once we get there, then everybody that's anybody needs to know what those are and how their job aligns to that key result. It's critical. When you first told me about this year-end strategy, people are always reflecting on the previous year. It seemed kind of like a cop-out to me as well, because shouldn't you always be knowing what your short-term and long-term goals are? Why should you wait till the end of the year to try and figure out if things are good or bad? Well, you should. And, you know, I should eat better and exercise more. But (laughs) knowing you should do it and actually executing, there's the gap, right? You know, I have met tons of people tons and tons, myself included, who know this, but don't necessarily execute at the level they know they should. So part of it is that constant reinforcement of 
knowing it's not good enough, knowing it is only level one, spaced repetition is level two, and application is level three. We've got to get people to execute what they already know and have practiced. It seems like working with you, I see a consistent pattern where people will come to you with a lot of issues and you're able to kind of look at their entire operation, identify a few smaller areas where they can definitely improve, and then they see this improvement because they've committed to starting with just a few things at a time. Mm -hmm. Is that simplicity what will work for most people? Absolutely. And we'll tie it back to what we talked about with weight loss. A lot of people say, you know, here is the reason why I'm overweight. It's because I'm a strong member in a church and we have potlucks all the time and I'm always being invited to people's house and eating is so social that I don't know how I'm going to ever be able to change because it's outside of my power to control the amount of temptation of food that's given to me. So we'll say, okay, so instead of you cutting off all ties with the church, which is an extreme thing <laughs> in this situation, which they won't stick with. I'll become a hermit and yep. live by myself and That's never right. talk to anyone. We try to figure out a way to help them shift their paradigm away from it's my duty to eat the potluck to how can I provide and bring something to the potluck that I can eat and enjoy and is healthy for me and use discipline not to eat the stuff I know I shouldn't, not use the, the potluck as an excuse that it's not your fault that you're making bad choices. And so simplify what are the key things, two or three, that if you change these things in your life will make a significant difference, and then let's focus on those things. The other thing with business owners, man, I, I have two or three clients right now that are entrepreneurs that I'm an advisor and I, I walk people through a proven methodology of how to assess the organization, clarify the strategy, and then the human behavior side, how to get people to change who they are to be able to execute. And so many business people say, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's skip a lot of that. Just tell me what I have to do to make more money this year than I did last year and fix these people that are the problem or these customers that are a problem or whatever. And one of my favorite things to say is, so what you're asking me to do is give you an easy way to do hard work because that's really what they want. Right. They, they want to skip past the hard work and just make it easy to simplify everything. And so I tell them the first thing that we have to do is embrace the fact that this is not easy that this is going to be work because changing beliefs, changing habits, changing the mindset is more difficult than anything you're ever going to have to do. We can change strategy, pricing models. We can change where we have our product made. We can change employees. We can change all kinds of stuff. But if you have the entrepreneur, the owner doesn't shift a mindset from traditional hierarchical control and demand to a high performance mindset, which is really all-encompassing, treating employees like partners in the business, valuing the unique gifts that they bring, figuring out a way to motivate, inspire people to do what you need them to do, not what you tell them to do. Those types of things are a shift. And a lot of times they say, yeah, I, I already do all that stuff. Just tell me how to make more money, how to make hard work simpler. And I tell them, we can't get past this until you accept the fact that you may be part of the problem you're not hiring me to fix the problem because it starts with a shift in a mindset. If we can't get past that, we're in trouble. 
It's funny how a lot of people that are working with 360 and trying to do what you're doing, they will want to skip ahead to the leadership stuff because it's fun and companies think they need that. And then you always start with the assessment stuff and the strategy stuff. And they say, well, that's the boring stuff, the analytical stuff, but that's the stuff that works. That's the stuff that's missing. Absolutely. And I'll say it again, like I always do. There is absolutely no reason to develop leaders or people inside of an organization if you don't understand we're developing them to do what? What is the strategy? What is our mission? What are the anchors? What is, what's our value proposition? So if I'm going to develop, if I'm going to spend the money on people to develop them on leadership and team and communication and trust and emotional intelligence and all the stuff we need them to do, how do we tie that behavior change to the goals of the organization, to the strategy of the organization. Because now we can measure is the time, money, and energy that we're investing in these people tied to an ROI, something that we can see is shifting the way the organization's growing. If we just train people for the sake of training people, which I call entertainment, <laughs> then then we're grading whether or not we're doing a good job or not based on did they enjoy the class, did they like it. I think on one of the last podcasts that I did, I shared the analogy of going to an organization and them saying, look, here's what, here's our issue. We have these three or four people over here that are high potential. We think they're good. We want to send them away to your training. We, we think they're going to be the next leaders of our organization. So can you do leadership development courses with these four people? I say, absolutely, but it won't work. I said, well, what? Well, I thought you were in the business of leadership development training. Well, I am. But there is a way that's done correctly in a way that's not as effective. And what you're asking me to do is simple and easier than the effective way. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, an example would be this. Let's say you owned a fish tank and you had a number of fish in there and the fish tank was dirty. And you called me and said, Chip, can you come over and help clean my fish tank? And I get over there and you say, yeah, really... We don't have the budget or the time to really do everything. So these four fish right here are my favorite. These are my best fish. <laughs> Can you just clean those four fish? Okay. So I reach in there with a net and I pull out these four fish and I put them in clean water and I take a toothbrush and I scrub them all down and I make them look beautiful and they're all cleaned up. And then I take those four fish and I put them right back into a dirty fish bowl. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, does it? Nope. But yet organizations do it all the time. They say, let's take these four high potential people, send them away to get trained, and then they put them right back into a sick, unhealthy, dysfunctional organization. And then they don't understand why these people quit. We just spent money training them and developing, and now they're leaving. Well, it's because they see the dirty fish tank that you are not trying to clean. If a, if a flower does not bloom, it is not the flower's fault. It's the soil that it's planted in. It's the environment that it's in. It's not getting enough sun or rain or water or, or soil or nutrients. It's not the flower's fault. It's the environment. It's a balancing act between the organization and the people that are in it, which is what creates high performance. It's also getting over the egos of all the, the leaders in the organization you're working with to make sure everyone has buy-in, not just the people who are perceived to be the issue. That's right. Whole fishbowl. Whole fishbowl. Everything. It is a balancing act of, do we have a good environment? Do we have good people? And are we working on all elements at the same time? And everybody knows why we're doing what we're doing. Because if you don't have everybody understand why we do what we do, because it's tied to this vision, 
this mission, this is our values, these are our anchors. And sometimes we have to do stuff we don't want to do because it's tied to the long-term initiatives of what we're trying to build. And if you want to build what we want to build, you're going to love it here. But if this is just a job to you, sometimes we're going to ask you to do stuff you don't understand why, and you're going to get frustrated because you're not privy to what we're trying to do long-term. To kind of recap, if your 2017 was good, but you want it to be better or not good, and you want 2018 to be better, you need to start by everyone in your organization being on the same page and really coming together and building that strategy in unison. Yeah, the strategy at a bare minimum, if not everybody is involved in developing the strategy, they at least need to understand at a bare minimum their role in the strategy and have a cursory overview of this is our strategy and how you're important to the strategy. They don't have to be involved in building it, but they at least need to know their role. It reminds me of the Donovan podcast that we did. I, I can't remember his last name off the top of my head because Donovan was such a unique first name and that's his, the name of his company is like Donovan Chemical. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he gives everyone a coin and the coin has the core values of the company on it and everyone is expected to keep that. So yep. they know and they can pull out and they can point to and they can recite the core values of the company so he knows that everyone's on the same page. Yep. It's like the old analogy of if you ask everybody to start singing at once, it sounds like noise. If you give everybody a hymnal and say, turn to page 38, and on me, let's all start singing this, it sounds like music. That's what strategy is. And you give it to them and say, turn to page 38, here's what we sing together on your market set, go, and we do something nice. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of noise, people doing whatever they think they're supposed to be doing, singing whatever they're supposed to be singing. Well, Chip, that was a really good business podcast and a pretty good diet podcast as well. (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping my 2018 was better than my 2017. In this looking back, taking stock, I'm not really excited about where I'm at. So forecasting the future hopefully is in a much better 2018 on health-wise than it was 2017. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.